0: We're going to talk about preparing to be a missionary overseas, and uh, we've had some great stuff about domestic missions. We're going to touch on overseas missions. That's why I put that title in there, and really get down to the practical level this morning. Before I begin, let me mention a couple, a uh, number of great resources that will help you with this. One is called "Preparing to Be a Missionary" uh, by Tom and Cynthia Hale, and. Uh, that's something like the title. It's close. You can find these all down at the CMDA bookstore. Uh, second, there's this brilliant guy that wrote a book called Jesus MD. And uh, some of you know me, so you know I wrote that book. But a lot of things about being a missionary. Uh, the Handbook of Medicine in Developing Countries is really your medical text for short term missions. Uh, Dennis Palmer, who's here, and a woman physician from Haiti wrote that. And Medicine is so different overseas and it's a great medical text. It's been updated. I think this is the third edition. Um, you may want to get a copy of that. And then for short-term missions, Ready, Set, Go which is uh, a lot of information about doing rotations or going with a group overseas. So four of the books that uh, uh, I think will be very helpful to you. Well, let's plunge into this and really have divided this up uh, by just Really, the questions that I get asked all the time about uh, being a missionary—that sounds better. Thank you. Uh, Being a missionary overseas, and we're going to kind of run through those. The most common one I get is, "How do I know I'm called?" Um, And that—that's a big question. Uh, Does God really want me to do this? I know I have an interest, uh, but let's kind of go through it. First of all, there's a general call. Uh, Tom Hale in his book uh, talks about that. There's a general call through Scripture for all of us uh, that we are uh, supposed to uh, be God's witnesses wherever we are. Uh, There's the call to salvation, which I trust everyone has had. And and by grace we've been called to come to Christ as Savior. And uh, for by grace are you saved through faith. There's a call to lordship. And that's really what Rick Donlin was talking about if you were there for his talk yesterday morning. Uh, Live to die, die to live. You've got to make Christ Lord of your life. Uh, Are you calling the shots or is he calling you the shots? And uh, it's that verse that he used. If any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we could preach a sermon just on that uh, passage because uh, that is so key in missions. And where I see those that have been called that don't make it, it's because they really are wrestling with that issue of lordship. Uh, There's discipleship, uh, you know, growing in Christ, following righteousness and faith and charity and peace and all those characteristics. And then there's that call to be a witness. And, of course, the main one is Acts 1.8, uh, which is very clear. And ye shall be my witnesses in Judea and in Sumeria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But besides that general call, there is a very specific call. And that's where we wrestle a lot more. Most of us understand the general call. Uh, that specific call, that's a call from God to you, comes through the Holy Spirit. And we see examples of that throughout the Bible. Paul, probably the most famous on the road to Damascus, a very specific call uh, for him. It's God's specific will for you. And uh, he's created every one of us to do something. He's given you skills and abilities and prepared you. You're not here by chance. And it's not, uh, you know, you're just whatever comes along, you can just pick it. No, God's got something for you to do, so, so how do you know that? Where, what will you do? Where will you serve? It's more profound and life-changing than the general call and the general guidance. Uh, I think certain vocations need a special empowerment um, to carry them out. I think medicine in general is a call, a specific call to individuals. I hope you're not into this just because you made good grades and you like to work hard. Uh, you know in, in going to medical school or nursing school, or whatever it is, because you really need special empowerment for the demands of medicine to have the compassion and the caring that you need. so how do you know that specific call? Uh, for some people, it is dramatic. It could happen this weekend we 're going to have a time of commitment uh, this afternoon. Maybe God spoke to you yesterday during one of the sessions. It can be a sermon, or a song, or a scripture, or experience. Maybe a medical mission team you were on, or a general mission team where God really just began to work in your heart, and you sensed missions was for you. I, I, or maybe not dramatic. Maybe it's more of a gradual, growing conviction. That's what happened to me. My, I'd gone on a team to Haiti when in 1965. That tells you how old I am. I was 14. And uh, my dad took me to Haiti on a mission trip. That was back when nobody did that. And um, I was watching, uh, I think we painted somebody's house or something. I can't remember what we did. But I remember one thing I'll never forget. There was a, a nurse down at the, the uh, in a little two-room clinic down at the corner of the compound in Cape Haitian And I saw people lined up around that building twice and I went down there to see what was going on and peeked in the door and there, there she was diagnosing and treating and every once in a while she'd get up and take a patient in the other room and I couldn't figure out what's that about and finally I, I got brave and stuck my head in the door and you could see through a crack in the door into the other room and there she was down on her knees leading someone to Christ. And uh, it was four years later as a senior in high school and I was just praying, trying to figure out what God wanted me to do with my life and it was a two or three month period. And uh, I looked at my skills in science, remembered those needs I'd seen in Haiti, and God began to give me this gradual, growing conviction uh, that uh, I could be a, a missionary physician. And um, you know, as that conviction grew, I, I acted upon it, and we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, you know, God doesn't promise He's going to write it on the wall. Sometimes we make uh, too much out of the, the dramatic idea. Of, of a call, I think Abraham's a great story. Of that you remember Abraham? It said God asked him to go into a country he did not know. Can you imagine how that was? Okay, sell everything, pack up the family. Okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. Where do you want me to go? Not going to tell you. Just just start walking. Well, in many ways, that's what God's saying to us. When He begins to give us some light about what he wants us to do, then we need to start walking, walking through open doors and, uh, and really uh, looking for what he wants us to do. Uh, to be, as we would say in medicine, on call, totally committed and ready. 2 uh, Thessalonians 11 says, Can you make better plans for your life than God? Um, so make, pray that God will make you fit for what he's called you to do. Be sensitive to the needs. Expose yourselves. If you're getting that nudge, continue to expose yourselves to mission opportunities. As I say, keep throwing wood on the fire of what God's doing. Uh, Don't overemphasize the call or make an excuse. I know a lot of people that are wanting something dramatic, and uh, God often does not work that way. Um, And then go forward and search. It's hard for God to steer a parked car. You ever tried to steer a parked car? wheel doesn't even turn very well in this day and time. But what he wants you to do is to begin moving. For me, that was entering pre-med, and um, for you, it, it's whatever stage you are in your life. And then continue to seek God's will through uh, exposing yourself, uh, getting mentors, uh, people who can uh, advise you, act on the light you have, and God will help you. Um, that's how you know God's call. Get these all clicked in here. Where should you serve? That's a big question. I know I've been called, but where where do I serve? Well, you know, that 1040 window is where the most work yet needs to be done. That doesn't mean God's going to call you there, but he's calling many there because that's the work that needs to be done. There's 6.5 billion people in the world. 680 million of those are evangelicals. 2.1 billion are unreached. Over 160,000 believers are martyred each year. We saw some of that yesterday in the slides as we talked about specific people that had lost uh, their lives, many, many more, 160,000 a year. Uh, U.S. missionaries now make up about 30% of the world's missionaries. Uh, we used to be the greatest and largest sending country and still one of the large ones, but a lot of other groups, a lot of countries are sending lots of missionaries, Korea and other places, and, um, and we're seeing many more from Latin America and Korea. God's just raising up many people to carry out the Great Commission. Uh, If you look, though, at the 1040 window, it has 8% of the missionaries, uh, 0.01% of the finances, and two-thirds of the people that still need to be reached with the gospel. And so if we believe what the Bible says, where the Bible says that, that when we have told every people group, then Christ will return. Uh, Then that's something that we definitely need to be about. And I think that's one of the questions you need to be asking. In the United States, 98% of people are senders. About 0.5% are uh, servicers, the administration and tech support and that type of thing. And about 1.5% are missionaries of those who are involved in missions. Uh, But last year, the good news, about 120 million people actually heard the gospel for the first time last year. Can you believe that? And uh, many of them in those difficult areas. Uh, But there's still about 10,000 unreached people groups around the world. A people group is a group of people that are by culture, by language related and uh, distinctly. And uh, they have not yet heard the gospel. Uh, So, And it's really the hard areas. It's the Hindu, it's, it's the Islamic, it's the Buddhist regions. It's where most of the poor people are. Eight out of ten people in that 1040 window are very poor. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, to be done. I think the thing that moves me the most is that every day 50,000 of those people die. Today 50,000 will die and never heard the gospel. So as you begin to look at it, that's one thing you very much need to consider. See that guy there with the big afro? Isn't that good? That was cool back then. Uh, it was all natural. That's back in the day when a lot of people, guys went and had their hair done to get that afro. Uh, how specifically, and we can talk about these big, broad areas, but how specifically do you begin to look? Well, first of all, uh, read. That's why I mentioned books on being a missionary, um, Jesus M.D., On Call by Dave Thompson, who's here Uh, Don't Let the Goats Eat the Loquat Trees by Tom Hale. Get missionary books. uh, Continue to dig into this. You'll learn a lot. You'll be inspired. And sometimes God will use that uh, to touch your life and give you some direction. Talk to missionaries. Uh, I know they're busy, but find somebody here to talk to. Find somebody you get their email address. And can I write you periodically? Uh, most of them want to be involved in mentoring and helping the next generation along. Uh, attend mission conferences like you're doing. And, and if you're feeling a nudge toward missions, you need to be going to mission school, which is uh, things like this, or ones on a regional level. Uh, correspond with agencies. Get to know them. There's many different mission agencies. And I know you walk over there and you're going, oh, my goodness, I'm so overwhelmed. Look at all these groups. But begin to to... Say, is there an area of the world where God has given you a burden, a a, a certain people group? Maybe it's a missionary that you know uh, that's given you an interest in that part of the world. Maybe it's a people group that you feel a burden for. You've known somebody from that part of the world. Uh, Then visit fields, um, and that's so easy now compared to what it used to be, uh, with uh, short-term mission teams or rotations overseas. For rotations, if you go on CMDA's website, at the Center for Medical Missions, there's a handbook, a downloadable electronic handbook on doing rotations overseas. It'll tell you all the, all the hospitals and clinics that will accept students and all the information about how to apply. And uh, it's just a, a free uh, resource there that would be great help to you. And we continue to update it. Um, there's scholarships available. You say, oh, my goodness, how do I pay for that? I don't know of any healthcare student who's not been able to do a rotation overseas because of cost. There may be some, but it's very few. People want to help. We have scholarships at CMDA, the Wester Scholarships, the Johnson Scholarships. You'll find all that information on the line. MAP, medical assistance program that's here, has the Reader's Digest fellowships that they give. I did one of those in 1976, paid two-thirds of my airfare when I went overseas uh, with my spouse when I was in med school. So uh, there's lots of opportunities. If you're in residency or already a graduate doctor, World Medical Missions uh, does that. So get in and dig in and find out what it's like and continue to do that. It's like, you know, if you don't do that, it's like you meet somebody and they say, oh, I want to be a mechanic. And you say, yeah, man, you mess around with cars a lot? Nah, I never opened a hood, but I sure want to be a mechanic. And, you know, people think you were nuts. So look under the hood and uh, examine your skills, your needs, your interest. God has specifically equipped you. You know, we talk a lot to students about, you know, residency or specialty for nurses or whatever. What, what do I want to do? Well, what has God given you an interest in? Uh, what do you feel the binge for? That's what God has prepared you for. You need to follow uh, that. And then pray and ask others to pray, realizing that God may direct you in one direction and then change that direction. For, uh, Dave Thompson, one of my heroes who's in Gabon, his parents and his wife's parents were missionaries um, in uh, Cambodia, and the parents were martyred for the gospel by the V. Kong. And, uh, you know, knows the culture, speaks the language. You'd think, you know, and he thought, well, definitely God's calling me back there. It's where Burton is. And he was all ready to go, and things just blew up over there, and he ended up in Africa for his whole career. And he could see very clearly that's where God had prepared him for, but initially he didn't think that was the case. So seeing those skills and needs and praying are, are very important. How do you pick a mission agency? Whoa, there's lots of them out there. And so what? what do you do? Well, First of all, there's some things to consider. The theology um, may be important. There's some interdenominational missions, and there's some that are more uh, theologically specific. They may be Wesleyan, they may be Calvinistic, they may be whatever. And so you want to look at the theology. Is that compatible with where you are and uh, in your service? What's its focus? What part of the world does it do its work in? Does it have work in the country you feel like you've been called to or the region of the world? So what is its focus? What is its strategy? What type of outreaches does it have? If you want to do medicine and all it does is church planning, it's not an agency that you're probably going to be interested in. It may be church planning, training, medical radio, maybe all of the above. But you want to make sure that it has an interest and will support you in in the healthcare ministry god's called you to how evangelistic is it how well does it do that you know it, it, how well does it combine healthcare with sharing the gospel uh, how does it you know some mission agencies may say well you know it's just being a witness here and uh, you we love to have the hospital or the clinic work or whatever but we're not expecting you to To do that type of uh, do evangelistic, where others say, "Oh no, we combine it right in with what we're doing." Um, How does it know what it's doing? That's important. Uh, Is it growing? Is it developed? Is it old and stodgy, or experienced and continually relevant? Is it new and exciting with cutting-edge outreaches? Is it really making a difference? Uh, How's it supported? Uh, There are some mission agencies that are denominational. And some of the denominational agencies, you sign up with them, and they raise their support through all their churches, and you may go do some speaking, but you have no responsibility to raise support. Others are faith missions, and so you you go with them, and you have the obligation, the responsibility to raise your financial support. They help you do it, but it's your job. That's the kind of agency we went with, and and there's there's positives and negatives to each. Um, I really liked a faith-based agency because. I remember my dad telling me when I went into missions that I would have as much ministry in the United States as I had overseas, and I didn't really understand that, but it's true. As a missionary, your witness, your testimony, going out and speaking in churches, having people that are praying for you and involved in your ministry, supporting you, gives you an enormous ministry into people's lives. We've been back from the field now, full-time in Kenya, almost 20 years ago. I still have people that write us. We have people that send donations to CMDA to support our work there. That started way back you know, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, they're some of our dearest friends and have been involved in our ministry. I learned something a long time ago, that all the money in the world will not make any difference when you're up to your elbows in somebody's abdomen or dealing with a very difficult case. And you need God coming down, His Holy Spirit, and directing you and having people praying for you. Is so important. And uh, it's like going into battle without a gun if you don't have people praying for you. So, uh, whatever agency you go with, make sure that that's going to be the case. How successful is it being? Are people coming to Christ? Are they being discipled? Are new churches being planted? as leaders being developed? Uh, you know, those type of things are the kind of questions you want to be asking mission agencies when you talk to them. Uh, how well is it managed? If you get deeper into this, you want to talk to some missionaries that are already working with this group. Uh, What is their management style? Some mission organizations are very top-down. Others are very decentralized. Uh, The one I went with was more decentralized. So on the field, we really helped make most of the decisions on the field within the major policies, the mission. Uh, We set the priorities and the goals, and we understood what was going on. And and, uh, So how do they deal with problems? How, do, how well do they support their missionaries uh, as far as all the services you need? What is their uh, support like? And uh, what does it cover? And just all sorts of things as you dig into it. And then what's its culture? Every mission organization has a different culture. And uh, the best way to experience that is to go and spend some time with that mission agency. After you narrow it down a little bit, you may want to go do a, a month or maybe even a longer assignment or a few weeks or whatever with them to really get to know some of the missionaries, see the culture, how they work together, and, uh, and where you might be serving. Uh, So these are some of the questions you need to be asking because I know it can be very overwhelming. But as you experience it and serve short-term or long-term with that group, then you'll even get a better idea of what's going on. How do you prepare? How do you prepare? Um, You know, physician, we're going to talk about different groups here. You know, what specialty? Should I get that question all the time? What specialty should I go into? Well, it depends a lot on where you're going to be serving but i would say this in this time that you almost any specialty can be used now the more specialized you are if you're in medical school dental school or whatever the more specialized you are especially in medicine the fewer places you will be able to serve by that i mean there's a neurosurgeon was serving in uganda did about a third of the neurosurgeries there and you know it's very highly specialized but he's probably not going to be, have the opportunity to go to a Bush hospital with that type of, of uh, capability. Uh, but primary care of almost any type, surgery, family practice, ob pediatrics, or whatever. But there are people much more highly specialized than that. They tend to be in the larger mission hospitals. And what happens when they're there is before long they've built a huge practice of every other mission facility, sending them patients uh, that need. Uh, Selecting your residency, uh, you know, there's a lot of good information on our website about how to do that. Um, You may want to be looking for a Christian residency or residency has Christians involved. Uh, The year Call Program, let me mention that. We have a program at CMDA for those who felt called to long-term medical missions, and we want to be there to walk you through your training years. To mentor you, to keep you on track, to give you resources, ideas, uh, contacts, networks, scholarships. That program is called Your Call, and uh, you can sign up for it. It's just getting your name on the list. There's over 1,200 uh, students and residents um, that will help you uh, through that, uh, that going through that Your Call program, and you can get that down at uh, one of our uh, at the Center for Medical Missions table. Uh, nurses, often you will need extra training. Uh, what I encourage nurses to do, my daughter's a nurse practitioner, um, oftentimes it's good to go with the training after you finish, spend a year or two on the field, realizing that probably you're going to come back and get some more training because nursing in many countries overseas is is much different than it is here. We're very high-tech Uh, What you're going to do is going to be very hands-on. Often you'll be involved in training, midwifery, diagnosis, all sorts of things. Uh, But it can differ depending on your situation. And so often what we've seen nurses do is they go, do a a term, come back, get another year or two years of training and whatever. They may come back and become a nurse practitioner or get their midwifery degree or whatever. But the best way to know what's going to be needed is to go out there and experience it. Uh, What about physician assistants? Uh, Physician assistants uh, can have trouble with licensing in some countries, mainly former British colonies, but uh, usually that can be worked around. Uh, That's true of uh, DOs. Uh, overseas. Sometimes licensure could be a problem because they just don't understand it completely, but usually it could be worked around. Uh, But there's great opportunities for PAs overseas with their diagnostic ability. Dentists, pharmacists, probably the most underrepresented group I've seen in medical missions are dentists. And um, I know we built a whole whole clinic system at our hospital for dentists whenever we could find one to come. And um, so there's great need there. But there's a lot of other things, management, public health, cultural uh, issues, theology, tropical medicine. There's all sorts of things. Let me just give you this bottom line. You could stay in training for the rest of your life, and you would never be completely prepared to be a missionary. The best place to learn what you need to know to be a medical uh, missionary overseas is on the field. And so get there, find out what's needed, and get any other training you need later than that. I think that's the best way uh, to, to look at it. Let's, um, what about raising support? We've talked a little bit about that, the benefits, the opportunity to minister. Uh, let me encourage you that I have never met a medical personnel who was going to the mission field a long time that couldn't get there because they couldn't raise their support if God called them to do that. Uh, it takes time. You may be fearful of it. I'm not a public speaker. I don't have knowledge. Your mission organization will help with all that. It's more friend building, relationship building, than it is speaking in front of large groups of people. It's uh, finding a support team who will pray for you and will be blessed by giving to what you're doing. Um, And uh, you'll be a great encouragement and example to them as uh, they get involved with you. You'll be a blessing in their life. What about my children? That was the big bugaboo for us. We had two kids during residency, mainly because they were free. (laughs) Now we had other reasons. My son, the pediatrician, uh, I mean the OBGYN that delivered my son, uh, my first year residency, uh, he had this quaint little thing he did. He filed the insurance and turned out to give you the money uh, for your first child. So I told my son that they paid us to have him. Um, but um, we had two children, one and three, when we left, and um, that was a big issue for us, especially the education. When we went over to Kenya, at that time, the missionaries were sending the children off to boarding school in second grade, and we couldn't imagine that, you know, six, seven hours away. Um, But there are tremendous advantages. See, the interesting thing was that was the big thing we wrestled with going overseas till we finally, like Abraham, put our children on the altar, Um, because that was the big issue. I I remember God finally said to me, David, do you think I can take care of everything, but you got to take care of your children? And you got to, you know, no, I can take care of your children like I can take care of you. And you trust me, and you do what I called you to do. Um, There's wonderful advantages to being on the mission field with your kids. First of all, it's time together. Uh, this country, you know, I know a lot of docs and other healthcare professionals that get up and leave before the kids get out of bed and come home after they're in bed or almost in bed. I had breakfast, lunch, and supper with my kids every day while they were growing up, unless there's an emergency at the hospital. And uh, what doctor or other healthcare professional in this country does that? In the evenings, we didn't run to soccer practice or ballet or whatever. We went home. We were together. There wasn't any soccer practice or ballet. And so, because we were out in the bush, but we did things as a family. Um, And the most important time to be with those kids is during the first seven, eight years of their lives. And what a wonderful time to do that in the bonding. Uh, The other thing that's wonderful is you lack the negative influences. People used to say to me, how can you take your kids over to that jungle? Finally, one day I said to somebody, how can you keep your kids here in this jungle? It's much more dangerous here than it is over there. Uh, I didn't have to worry about what the kids are going to watch on TV. I didn't have to worry about somebody giving them drugs. I didn't have to worry about consumerism. Um, I could let my kids out, just throw them out of the car 10 miles from the hospital, and somebody brought them home, nobody had hurt them. (laughs) Did you do that here? You know, all those negative influence. And so it was just an incredible blessing as our kids were growing. Now, it differs depending on where you're going to be. You may be in an urban environment and different. But the point I'm trying to make is that God can take care of your kids and uh, make a big difference they say the best way to draw a family together is common challenges and uh, saying one of the other uh, talks I gave they say in this country taking your family camping is the way to face common challenges and draw them together well that's what medical missions is with your family one long camping trip <laughs> so you'll uh, you, you face challenges we used to get in the car to to go somewhere, and I put in two spares, and the patching kit, and the tow rope, and the shovel, and the tool kit, and we were facing challenges getting the car and go somewhere because we were in the middle of nowhere. So it was a wonderful way where we really our kids are our closest friends. Uh, they tend to be uh, more mature than other kids. Studies have shown this. Missionary kids are actually the highest as a group uh, achievers. Next is the Children of Diplomatic Corps. Uh, they've learned to deal with adults. They understand pain and suffering. They've had decision-making. They deal with a wide variety of people. They're comfortable in different cultures. There's lots of things that are really great about raising your kid. There's a lot of good resources to help you do that now for what they call third-world kids uh, that have their foot in one world uh, in the United States and one world somewhere else, have rich experiences, travel, culture, Um you know, and living by faith and, and uh, seeing prayer and, you know, the hardest thing, of course, is being away from your family. We'll talk about that, your extended family. They have a huge world view. Um, you know, my kids, I could, all three of them are here. If I went down to them and said, you want to go to Afghanistan tomorrow? Yeah, let's go. Because they have a big world view. They, 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 uh, they have passport will travel and they tend to be high achievers. Disadvantages Frequent transitions, a lot of hellos and goodbyes. That may be going to school or adjusting new challenges. We ended up uh, homeschooling in a one-room schoolhouse with eight kids and five grades all in the same room. And then we told our oldest kids they'd go to boarding school when they wanted, and they went in fifth and sixth grade. Uh, Hardest thing we came back from Africa was the fact they couldn't go to boarding school any longer. They loved it so much. It was such a great experience for them. Uh, sense of identity. Who am I? Where do I fit in? Uh, distant relatives that they don't know that well. Now that's changed a lot with you know Skype and audio and video and what you can do because uh, you can really be in touch with your family a lot more. Uh, commitment. They've had so many transitions that missionary kids sometimes have a, a difficult time committing to things, to a church or to a specific church or whatever. They have just had changed their whole life. And and that's an issue. It's an issue that can lead to rootlessness. Where is home? Am I American? Am I Kenyan? Am I what? What? Where in the world do I belong? Sometimes to restlessness. Uh, often as they grow up, it can be hard for them to settle down and stay in the same place. And then of course the separation from families and friends. Um, but the other thing is that your mission family kind of comes in and and deals with that. Uh, all the other missionaries are, are uncle and aunt. It's uncle Ernie, aunt Sue. Uh, very involved in their lives, come to their birthday parties, more involved in lives than their relatives in the United States would be. And so what I would say is the positives far outweigh the negatives. My prayer is two of my children are planning to head overseas, and I'm thrilled because not only God's called them and they're going to act upon it, but my grandkids are going to be raised overseas. And I'm going to do what my dad did and mom did. Dad would show up with mom and say, we're just here spending your inheritance we figure we'd enjoy it with you instead of you enjoying it after we're gone. So I don't care where my kids are in Timbuktu or who knows where. I'll be there and uh, be thankful that God is using them. Um, what about safety? Um, that's the other big issue. Man, it's crazy over there. Um, God will take care of you in what he's called you to do. That doesn't mean you're going to be safe, but he's going to be with you. You've got to remember that God is in control, but bad things happen to good people. Sometimes God uses uh, bad things happening in our lives to be a witness to others, teach us. It's into the whole issue of suffering. Uh, We've got to remember that often the greatest risks bring the greatest rewards for God's kingdom. The work that still needs to be done is not going to be easy. It's going to be more like it was when the pioneer missionaries went to the place now where it's easier to be missionaries. And I can tell you stories of some of the things that, you know, happened in Africa as missionaries went in, or Korea or China. I'm sharing another thing. The first missionary to Korea was stoned on the beach when he when he landed and killed. And the one first one that survived in Korea was a physician because that physician um, – save the life of the king's son, who was bleeding to death after an accident, and open that whole country. But look at what's happened to Korea. So, yes, God is in control. Bad things happen to good people. The greatest risk often bring the greatest rewards for God's kingdom. But remember, if God has called you, it's not your position to say, no, I won't go because I'm afraid you won't go with me. (laughs) That's not how he works. That's not how he works. Um, Psalm 991. God, say this: God's your, you're my refuge. I trust in you. I'm safe. That's right. He rescues from hidden traps and shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Beautiful promises that God has given. How do I avoid burnout? That's probably a bigger issue than safety. Uh, because one of, you know it 's one of the devil 's favorite tools for missionaries and very dedicated people want to do what God wants to do why because there 's unlimited needs and limited resources and um, you can burn yourself out. I can remember a couple that came. Uh, to help us. Both of them were physicians and um, they were both internists and they tend to be very meticulous. And So we put them on the medical ward and the medical ward, men and women's ward, weren't that big. It had a lot of surgery patients and pediatric patients but you know, there, for the two of them there may have been 40 patients, that wasn't that much And uh, for Mission Hospital. So we um, put them up there on the ward and uh, they went through and did detailed histories and physicals just like you do when you know you're starting out. On every patient. Well, the first day they'd only seen a third of the patients. So I went down and talked to them and said, You know, we really got to kind of speed this up. You need to see these patients every day. And and uh, they had ordered so much lab that the laboratory people at the hospital and x ray came and said, well, You got to do some of these people, man. They're ordering all this stuff. I don't have time to do all this. I went down and talked to them again. And well, they got there the next morning and most of the lab and x rays hadn't been done. They had ordered so much. So they got more concerned. And so they, Uh, they stayed later, they got up earlier, and they went up, and, you know, and so it got worse, and they hadn't even seen the new patients that came in that day. So I went and talked to them again, well, and they were really concerned this, you know, orders weren't being carried out. They had written so many of them. The third night, they decided they'd stay on the ward. So they got a couple hospital beds, stuck them in there, and they are going to stay all night and make sure these patients got the care they needed. And the fourth day, they were ready to go home. So they'd burn out. Now, that's an extreme example, but it's one of the things you have to, to remember. First of all, remember it's a marathon, not a sprint. You do the best you can for the most, but you can't save everybody in many situations. It, it's difficult. It's challenging. And uh, you've got to understand your limits and what is possible so that you can keep running. And that doesn't mean you don't try to make it better and get more people to help you and all sorts of things, but you have to learn that self-care, not selfishness, but self-care is important. If you don't do that, uh, you'll very soon find out that you do burn out and you've got to pace yourself and take care of yourself. And often the way to do that is to have someone, an older mentor or a colleague or someone who can help you uh, see when you're working too hard. Having that accountability, Uh, from another colleague. I still do that. I I have my vice president at CMDA, my best friend, and and Gene will walk into my office and say, David, you're getting a little toasty. You need to get out of here. You need to go home. Go fishing. Go do something. You're pushing too hard. You've been traveling too much. And uh, realize that you need to do that. Delegation, uh, learning very quickly to do what only you can do and delegate to others. Uh, do be involved in training, and it's not enough, uh, you know, just to do things. But you need to train others and give them the skills, whether that's community health or nursing school or uh, residency program or whatever, to help with the work. And then keep at it. Uh, you know, burnout is something that all of us in healthcare are prone to. Why? Because we are extremely focused. We've learned, you know, we've been in the library studying when everybody else went to the ball game, right? And that is a great strength, our ability to focus and be disciplined. It's also our greatest weakness when taken to the extreme. And so, learning that yes, there's going to be times you're going to say, "Oh my goodness, I've done it again." I wrote an article a couple of years ago for our medical, uh, for Today's Christian Doctor, and I started out, "I can't believe I've done it again," dealing with this issue. Um, it's uh, our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses when carried to the extreme. Can uh, I have a spiritual ministry? I pray you will have a spiritual ministry. But I'll tell you this, because if you don't, you probably will not last on the mission field. Because the satisfaction and reward of medical missions is not saving lives and stamping out disease. It's wonderful that is. I mean, yeah, it's great to to do that. But where you'll find the real satisfaction is in changing people's hearts. And so to do that, you need to prepare. Most missionary groups require some Bible training. I'm just looking at some preliminary data that we uh, are working on where we've surveyed uh, 300 uh, medical missionaries, physicians, nurses, and others. You know what the most uh, prominent thing in the survey they wish they had more of? It wasn't medical training. They wish they had more theological and Bible training when they went. Came way ahead of everything else. So take the time during your training to get... Uh, to get some of that, we have a program called the Saline Solution, teaching healthcare professionals how to share their faith in their in their work. We have it as a video series. You may want to do it on your campus with some of your friends. Uh, but how do you walk through and how do you raise faith flags? Tell faith stories. How do you deal with uh, sharing your testimony? All those things in this culture or even overseas. And so uh, this thing's gone over the all over the world now. There's good resources, those and others out there that will help you. Uh, really learn how to combine your faith into the practice of healthcare. Um most healthcare professionals before this came out about 12 13 years ago um, when we first did it, you know, they knew they should be doing something, they just didn't know how. They could give you the Krebs cycle, but they couldn't tell you how to share their testimony in a, in a you know, a natural way in healthcare. And so, you know, faith flags and faith stories, they give people permission to raise this issue. How do you take a spiritual history? How do you, you know, and it's much easier overseas than it is here in many places. But those skills uh, are are very important. You must prioritize it. It's easy to leave it to others or be too busy to do it. And um, I remember, you know, when God really convicted me of this and I was, you know, the thing I... Hated in my day when I became a missionary doctor was I was seeing patients, doing procedures, helping at deliveries, but they were taking the outpatients that our national staff were seeing. There were three, four, five hundred of them a day, and there would be some they didn't know what to do with. So they put them over there on a bench, some benches next to the wall that said doctor to see over top of them. So at five o'clock in the afternoon, before I could go home, you know, you've been working flat out all day. It was my job to go see those uh, patients. Since you had 40 or 50 of them at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, so, you know, you just got brutally efficient. Let's get everybody, you know, lab on the chart, have them in the cubicle. I, I, we got to get these people out of here. Nobody could clear out patients faster than I could. And, um, you know, because those people need to get home. They have to walk in the dark. No, really, I wanted to get home. And so, I, you know, and not all that was bad, But my priority was in the wrong place. And I remember when God really convicted me. I hadn't been on the mission field very long. I walked in. There's a man sitting there. And my first thought was, oh, good, this will be easy. Why? Because he had a big retropharyngeal carcinoma ulcerating out of the side of his face. How compassionate is that? Oh, good, this will be easy. Because there's nothing we could do for him. No chemo. No radiation therapy was going to help. This guy was going to die. Elderly man, very distinguished white hair. And his name was Raptoet. And I remember um, God just grabbed me and shook me. He said, David, why did I bring you halfway around the world? See, I was thinking a little bit of pain medicine, telling the diagnosis and on to the next patient. I mean, we had chaplains. They could take care of the spiritual stuff. I had patients to see. And God just shook me. And I remember I examined him and Said I using the local language, um, they have a euphemism for death, and it essentially means this thing's going to finish you. And, and he looked at me and said, I, "I know, I know." He said, "The only reason I came is because my my son insisted." He said, "We had to walk two days to get here." I said, "What's going to happen to you when you die? You know our customs, Doc tani my oldest son will carry my body out, dig the hole, and bury me on our plot, on our Shamba. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. What's going to happen to your heart, to your soul? I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever heard the story of Jesus? I said, would you, would you like me to share that story so you can learn how you could go spend eternity in heaven? Oh, yes, doctor. I'd love to hear that story. And so in the midst of the busy clinic, I'm probably not very well. In three or five minutes maybe at the most, I shared the plan of salvation. And at the end, I looked at him and said, Rep. it, would you like to accept Christ? And I'll never forget what he did. He looked me right in the eye, and he said, of course. And so we got on our knees by the examining couch, and I led him to Christ. And I got him some pain medicine, got the chaplain, got him a Bible, found where the closest church was, and went on to see the next patient, and I never saw him again. But someday I will. See, I don't remember any other patient I saw that day, but I remember him. Because he taught me that no matter how busy my day was, how many patients I had to see, that the most important thing was dealing with people's souls. That doesn't mean I could sit down and do that with every patient, but to become sensitive to God's prompting to do it when he prompted me, making sure the chaplains were seeing the patients, ordering consults, seeing them more than just a disease was so important. (coughs) you got to remember, you can't do it all. You need to set up a good system, build a team, have those. Our chaplains made rounds in the wards. They saw every patient. We had chapel in the chapel, chapel in outpatients, chapel in isolation, chapel in OB. We had services in the evening. We trained our staff to go up on the wards. We approached our spiritual ministry with as much determination and focus as we did our medical ministry. Uh, realize you've got a complementary role and it's very important for you to lead from the front uh, for your staff. Uh, for some groups, you may want to get ordination and some mission organizations will do this. What will be my biggest challenges? And uh, we're going to finish up here. Uh, growing spiritually. One of the biggest challenges on the mission field is you're giving out all the time and oftentimes you're not taking in. You may be going to a national church where the pastor doesn't have that much training and so it's very important to grow spiritually. That may be getting tapes from home or good books to read or other things that so you're staying close to the Lord and growing in your faith. Adaptability, uh, most important characteristics. We built a house a few years ago, and Jody and I counted that was our 22nd move. And um, you've got to be adaptable. Life is going to be changing all the time in missions. Uh, Other missionaries, um, they're going to be the greatest blessing in your life, and some of them will be the greatest problems in your life. And I I say that kindly because you don't get to pick your friends. The mission picks them for you. You live with these people. You worship with these people. um, You laugh with these people. you you know they're in your life all day and you're very interdependent and so one of the problems in missions any missions is interpersonal conflicts you you can't move away you can't go find other friends and uh, so learning effective group functioning and letting the oil the holy spirit uh, come in is so important i say that on one side our dearest friends are those missionaries that we served with and uh, my kids uh, still want them to come to visit or go visit them, their uncles, their aunts, uh, very, very close relationships because of what you've gone through. But there are those rough edges that you have to learn to deal with. Separation from family on birthdays, holidays, deaths, and weddings. Uh, those type of things are difficult and uh, God has to pour the oil of his grace in. Burnout, we've talked about that. And then you've got to remember that medicine is only part of the equation and that's something I didn't expect when I got to the field. I thought, well, I'm well-trained. I'll go be a great missionary doctor. And you get to the field and find out there's a lot more to it than just your medical capabilities. It's leadership. It's management. It's, it's learning how to do projects and start programs. And, but that's the fun and joy of missionary medicine because you get to be the Renaissance person. You're involved in all sorts of things. And you see your humble abilities making huge differences in people's lives, which makes it just fabulous got time for one or two questions and then we'll let you go to the next thing. in fact we're just about out. yeah i'll take one and then we'll go. back to picking a family Yeah. Because like, trying to really get to know if any neighbor feels like it's going to take a lot of time so my husband and i were thinking of going to see all of them so how many could you possibly really look into that? Agency? Right. Yeah, you, you can't get your top 20 list and go spend time with everyone. That ain't gonna work too well. Talk about how do you do a sending agency? Uh, you know, narrow it down. That's why I kind of gave you that that uh, funnel to put them through of all these things, trying to get down. I, they're interested in my part of the world. They do this well. They exchange, you know, and try to get it down to two or three. Uh, but then realize, uh, yeah, in some ways, it is like a marriage, but. Often in a marriage, you don't really understand it completely till you get into it, right? And so uh, pray, ask God for guidance, and then make the step. Or you'll never get to the field because you won't have an agency. I'll be here if you've got any questions. God bless you. Go change the world.